Tonight's message is entitled, The Church and Her Vision. We come to the final study of our series on the nature of the church, and I believe with all my heart that if we have been listening to learn to be doers, each of us will be better prepared to be used by God and to serve as the church, as well as to defend the truth and our faith against the false corruption of the church that wants to replace it by a false church today. For now, it's the emerging church. If the Lord delays his coming, it'll be the next thing. So false teaching comes and goes. False movements comes and go. And you've always got to judge it by the word of God. Now, we've learned so many things about the church, which she is and what um, uh, she is not. The church is the called out people to hear the voice of God. The community of God's redeemed. All of us stand by grace in Jesus Christ. The church has many members. Every believer is important. Having a vital function is in, he, in the priesthood of the believer. So all are to serve. We spoke very clearly about that. And the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is the life source of the church. It isn't the personality of the pastor. It isn't the talent of the people but the power and enablement of the Holy Spirit. The church is transformed by prayer and the Word of God. Without that, we have no relationship to God. We don't know the revelation of God. We don't know the mind of God, the will of God. The church is to be known by the distinguishing mark, which is agape love. It doesn't minimize doctrine, but doctrine is what keeps our love centered on the love of God and not the love that is cultural, the love that is conditional or anything else that we function under. And the church, by her diversity, magnifies her unity as each believer lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Even as we have many members, hands, feet, ears, they all magnify the unity. One head gives all the commands, a body well synchronized, coordinating doing what it's supposed to do. And the church experiences opposition from within and from without. And as we said this morning, the most dangerous is the one from within. So in view of all of this, we want to look at the importance of the vision of the church. Even as a bride has vision for the future, not simply to maintain, but to develop and increase her family, So the church, the bride of Christ, must have vision to develop and increase the family of God. It cannot do it just from within. There's the development and the growth from people who are Christians, have kids as they come to the Lord, but reaching out to the lost. The church that marries the present will be the widow of the future, Dr. Blank said. Complacency is the mother of poverty and unnecessary suffering. Where there is no vision, the people perish, Proverbs 29, verse 18 says. Now, the people of God are characterized throughout the Bible as visionary, not seeking to accomplish their own desired goals, but only what they know to be the mind and the will and purpose of God. He calls up us out of darkness to direct and guide our life to have His purposes, His will, His uh, vision done. Noah knew he had to build an ark and to preach salvation to an evil generation. It was God's vision, not Noah's. Abraham journeyed by faith to inherit a country and a son in his old age. It was God's vision, not his. David made preparation to build a temple. Though he could not build it, it was God's vision. Paul made himself available to God and he took a gospel to the Gentiles. It was God's vision. Notice it was God directing through his word. Nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing should change, yet man has reversed it and man has now taken control to direct and to manage the church so far away from God, so apart from the word of God. 
and the majority of people don't even realize it. Two important factors are used by God for vision. First, availability. If you're going to be used by God, you must make yourself available. Often I hear people say, well, you know, I want to be, you got to be around. If you're going to be used, you can't be home. You got to be around. Secondly is flexibility. If you make yourself available, you must be pliable to personal disappointments and open to change. Study the people of the Bible. Those who were called of God, used of God. Too often the church lives in an inward state, preoccupied with their own needs, having tunnel vision. The vision of the church must be both short and long term. The short term is the present generation. The long term is the future generation, both encompassing the community of the church and the world. We might look at vision in two ways. Our general vision what is revealed in Scripture about the absolute need to preach salvation to the lost, that's general, and the specific or special vision, how God will do it, the open doors, the methods that God will use and honor in reaching the contemporary world. So the church with their vision is threefold. First, vision for the local church. Second, vision for the community. And thirdly, vision for the world. Let's begin with vision for the local church. This is the foundation of the following, the following two. First, to have vision for people to know God personally, and not just knowledge. That's very important. The invitation of salvation is but the beginning of a person's spiritual life. Um, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you never see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3 through 5. It's just simple and basic. Jesus invited everybody, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. That they might know God has forgiven all their sins in that Act of repentance through salvation. Psalm 103, 12, as far as east as the west. Micah 7, 10, uh, buried in the deepest ocean. to never be mentioned again. But also that they know they are new creatures before God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when a person is a new creation, all things pass away, everything becomes new. Think about it. Paul the apostle killed Christians. He persecuted them. He caused them to blaspheme. He repented on the road to Damascus. All those sins forgiven, never to be mentioned again. Wow. But also that they know their potential is in Christ, not in themselves, apart from Jesus. We can do nothing. Those are the words of Jesus in John 15, 5. Now, the transformation after initial salvation is the life process to become more like Christ's life. I am predestined to be conforming to the image of the Son of God. In Romans 8, 29. That's the key. If there's no transformation going on to conform to the image of Christ and of predestination, there's no such thing. I am to know Jesus, that he's the author and the finisher of my faith in Hebrews 12, 2. So once again, you're a Christian, you've been born again, but now you need to grow. I am to come to him boldly before the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. He's open 24-7, Hebrews 4.16. This is great news as a new believer. I am to know Jesus is my lawyer for my defense. Constantly in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in 1 John 2, 1, he says, My little children, I write these things unto you that you do not practice sin. But when you stumble and fall, you have Jesus Christ righteous to make intercession for you. Literally, your lawyer for, the, for your defense. Our attorney. Not only this, but to have vision for people to be equipped and training for the work of the ministry. So the new birth is only the beginning. It's a start, just like a baby's born. It's just the beginning. Now you've got to bring the baby home from the hospital. <laughs> Jesus 
did it for the twelve as he discipled them for three and a half years, sending them out. Uh, in Matthew 10, 1, and Acts 1, 8, he told them to tarry in Jerusalem even after he ascended on high, and then he would send the Holy Spirit to send them out to the world. Paul and Barnabas did it for the saints at Antioch as they taught them for an entire year in Acts eleven twenty six. It's the first place that they were called Christians. Before that, they were called those on the way. Paul discipled Timothy as he traveled with him on his missionary journeys, beginning in Acts 16.3. He was very close to Timothy, called him a son in the faith. Jesus gives gifts unto men for the purpose of perfecting the saints. These men are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, from verse 11 down to 16, to do the work of ministry, to edify the body of Christ, to mature every believer to their full stature in Christ. So you're to be more and more like Jesus, not like your pastor. Now your wife is not supposed to be more like you or you like her, but everybody's to be Christ-like. Also, to not be deceived any longer, being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So that means now that you are born again, you have the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, and the word of God. And you are able to judge everything you hear and everything you see by the standard of God's word. Not by your culture, not by your subjective opinion, not by your secular education, but by the word of God. And also to speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean just being positive. That means when you have to confront somebody, you do it in love, but you confront them if they're in sin. That is a no-no in much of the church today. That's a no-no in much of our homes today by parents. But also to be an effective part of the body, to enhance the efficiency of the whole body. Every part doing its share out of love and through love to edify the whole body. But thirdly, also to encourage each saint to have a vision to be used of God throughout their spiritual lives, living in expectation. So there's a new birth, there's the growth and development that goes on with maturity. But here, um, again, uh, spiritual vision, great expectation as a Christian. By living under the power of the resurrection, even as Paul the Apostle in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, he says that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There was a beginning point. There's a journey that we're moving through. There's a final point when I either die or the Lord comes before us in the rapture, one of the two. But also by not thinking that I have arrived or I'm already perfected by pressing on that I may lay hold for that which Christ had laid hold on me, as Philippians 3.12 says. So whatever, whatever God has done through me, glory to God, but he's not through. He has something else for me tomorrow, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year, if he should allow me to live. Don't be so impressed with yourself. Think soberly and know that if Christ... Uh, that is doing the work through you, not yourself. Something we have to remind ourselves over and over again. Also, by not thinking that I have done all God has for me, but forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, that I press towards the goal, the price, to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. In other words, don't be so impressed with the past successes that God has done through you as if there is nothing left or else that God wants to do or will do. I mean, I look back at the last 40 years um, in ministry and 43 being in Christ. And God has done some incredible things and it's, it's great. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have greater things ahead. Whenever I think, well, it's all in the past, God's done, I'm just going to put it on cruise control. It's unscriptural. Absolutely unscriptural. Also, Paul declared to the Romans that he had run out of places to minister. The confirmation of that. 
So he was looking towards Rome and Spain, he tells them in Romans 15, 23 and 24. And he did get to Rome. And many believe he did get, get to Spain also. So Paul was always visionary in his own life. As God was going to lead and guide him. You know, David Livingston, a great explorer and Christian pioneer, wrote in one magnificent sentence the following, and I'm quoting, quote, I will go anywhere, provided it be forward. That's good. The problem with the world is always looking backwards after a midpoint or a little more. Living in regret. Wishing they were somebody else. Not really living, but existing. All of this begins by repenting. To know Christ personally. Grow. Develop. Mature. Be expecting God to use you in many different ways. The people in the church and as pastor must always believe and expect sinners to be present. As they pray for sinners that God would bring them, as people would invite. If not, several things will take place. So whenever I preach, I always assume they're sinners, whether it be present here or the internet or the radio, whatever it is. If not, the teaching will be mere information in academic theology, head knowledge. If there's no urgency that God is able to save and that someone is lost and needs salvation, then what are we doing here? Are we here just for ourselves? Hopefully not. But also the preaching will lack passion and indifference. That's what will dominate the pulpit. The church will become comfortable and compromising, not resisting the attacks against the church or the word of God. The message will never be directed to sinners personally. But rather in generalities with no conviction or conversions. Not seeking the loss. Because you don't want to offend anybody. Wow. What a description of today's church in so many ways. I was driving home and I was listening on the radio on K-Wave. And they had this guy on there that... Um, you know, he, he, Jesus, he says, Jesus, Jesus wasn't a Christian. Jesus didn't tell us to go make Christians. He just told us to make disciples. So we just tell people about Jesus. What kind of moronic message is that? Wow. Emergent. Sounds good. Doesn't line up with scripture. The church that does not discipline believers... And disciple believers, through teaching of the word, hurts the people, but also hurts itself. You as a parent, if you don't teach and discipline your children, you not only hurt them, you hurt you, your home and the rest of your children. The people will always be dependent on the pastor and leadership for everything instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to point you to Jesus, not to me, not to the elders. The people have no way of growing spiritually for their lives, marriages, the raising of their children, living wisely in the world. Because it's to man that they're looking to. The people will not be doing the work of ministry, but merely being spectators. The people will not be able to communicate the gospel or give a defense for their faith. People ask them questions. I don't know. So they come and ask the pastor all the time. Now, everybody should have that beginning like that, just like you have children. and They ask you questions and you give answers. And as they're growing, by the time they're 18, 21, you figure they can answer those questions. You've taught them all that time. So everything takes time. And all this can happen in a church where the word of God is taught. But people don't apply it to their lives. Happens all the time. Listen to Peter. Second Peter 3, 17 through 18 says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, 
but grow in the in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter three seventeen and 18. He's talking to Christians, not non-believers. The encouragement of the people in the church is to, but to be occupying until Jesus returns for his church. Every generation, without exception. The various parables clearly teach the responsibility and accountability for reward and judgment at the return of Jesus Christ. All of them. The expectation of the church is to be the soon return of Jesus to remove the church prior to the tribulation and great tribulation under the authority of the Antichrist. The concern over sinners and the work of the church are always regarding the return of Jesus Christ. You see the church or individual that stops believing or expecting the coming of Jesus will lose incentive for holy living. First John chapter 3, 1 through 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that even though it doesn't yet appear, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. The greatest incentive for holy living is that Jesus can come back any second. No one knows the day or the hour for his church. Listen to Timothy three eleven through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The blessed hope, the soon return of Jesus Christ for his church. Meet him in the air. And so vision for the church is essential or the church will dry up. Secondly, vision for the community. The first century church, as you know, was a community-concerned church. Um, conscious they were the hope of dying people. And that's always a good way to look at society. As you and I were dead and trespassed in sins, according to Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Now that we're saved, we look at some of our loved ones, our friends, and even our co-workers, or whether they go to school, whatever... That a person without Jesus Christ is literally dead. They're alive physically. But spiritually speaking, they're spiritually dead. And if they die in that state, they will go to hell. They will not be in heaven. That is very difficult for people to accept. And yet that's what the Bible teaches. And so therefore there's an urgency behind the believer's life. First, to exemplify the life of Christ not just a group of moral or self-righteous people. Very important. That our life would demonstrate the life of Christ, what he has transformed us into. Letting no man despise your youth, Paul says, being an example of the believer in word, conduct, and love, and spirit, and faith, and impurity. First Timothy 4.12. Every area of your life. When I got born again, July 73... One weekend I was partying, next weekend I was in a Bible study. Radical. I grew up in the 60s. <laughs> Got saved in 73. Wow. Christ being the model example of suffering and following the steps is First Peter 2.21. If that's what it leads to. Many of the first early Christians, as you know, were persecuted. Much of the church is persecuted. That's the way it's lived for almost 2,000 years. The only exception is maybe the church in America. That's it. Seeing the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord be our example of suffering and of patience as we study the scriptures, James 5.10 tells us. It cost them their lives. Christ being the model again of that. But also recognizing that we are the salt and light of the earth to our 
generation. So it is our turn at bat. Now it's our responsibility as the past generations were responsible and accountable to God and they preached the gospel and they suffered whatever it took as Christians. And Matthew 5, 13 to 14 deals with light and salt. Salt purifies and preserves. It's supposed to make people thirsty. Light dispels darkness and guides. So there should be a vast difference between my life before Christ and after Christ. Especially to those who knew me. They knew me well. They knew who I was. Communicating that we are sinners as they are. That's important. Saved by grace. And in need of constant grace. That God made Christ sin for me who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that I am just like them. I don't deserve salvation. But I was saved by grace through faith. But also to meet practical needs as God leads and provides as a church. The church has always met physical needs, such as food and clothing, whenever possible throughout history. You study from the beginning of the first century church on. The church has always been the source of direction for people, their families, through difficult times. The church has always been involved in the care of the less fortunate and the elderly. But a church that understands her primary vision and responsibility will never allow these things to replace the priority of the gospel. But all these things come alongside the gospel. You see, it's a real tricky, slippery slope when all of a sudden churches become kind of like welfare departments and they drop the gospel you never drop the gospel the priority is to preach the gospel then we may come alongside if we're able to meet some needs but you're not um, a, a welfare department or anything else we don't give the physical things if you listen to us we don't say that but we always preach the gospel first. And then we demonstrate our love and we're able to meet whatever need it is. But it's never the reverse. It's never the food and clothing first. The most important thing is to get the gospel to people that they know that they are perishing. And that if they die without Jesus Christ, they will never see the kingdom of God. The danger too often is that material things and help substitute the gospel we must not or we must be very careful that we not provide these physical things again simply just to preach the gospel there is a delicate balance the gospel must not lose its priority because of the material for God has set the agenda for the church the spiritual need comes first we must never allow the world to dictate to the church her agenda or responsibility as a mere humanitarian agency. Never. Paul tells the Ephesians that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them in Ephesians 2.10. So God has many things for you and for me to do individually and corporately, whether I will walk in all of them, whether I will fulfill all of them, whether we as a church will depend upon our obedience and our seeking the Lord. But thirdly, also to teach or to reach out with the gospel in order to evangelize the community by the constant preaching and teaching of the word systematically through the Bible in order to accomplish two things. That the unbeliever may hear the gospel, and as we gather together, we do this often. I always turn this sermon at the end to present uh, an altar call for those who want to accept Christ. I always assume there's non-believers listening. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17 says. 
but also that the believer may grow in the knowledge as we've seen and give an answer and a reason for the hope that lies in him with meekness and fear according to 1 Peter 3.15. So that you are studying, growing, developing, maturing so that you start in Genesis, you work all the way through and somewhere along the line you get all the way to the last book and you've studied them so that you can give answers to people that ask you, why do you believe do you believe? Where does it say that Jesus is coming back a second time? Where does it teach the Trinity? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Questions that people have. Where do dinosaurs fit in? Is there one creation or two creations in Genesis? All of those things. Questions that people have. We should be able to give them the answers. And we do it with meekness and fear, Peter tells us. But also by going out to the community as we've done always from the beginning. In fact, when we were in Alhambra, we went in every house in the city of Alhambra, door to door, in the six and a half years we were there. And then we hit the streets also. So we go to parks, we do high school studies, we go to the streets, witnessing, we go up here uptown Pasadena, um, we do major outreaches in the church, uh, here the location, and then outside of the church at times, so we're always looking to see where God will open us so that we can reach people that are lost. But also by reaching out to teens through the sports activities, but always being centered on the Word of God. There's always a danger. Many churches go this way, that they have many youth activities, but the focus and the, the, the center is not the Word of God. It's just to provide activities to get the parents and adults in. It's almost like the hook to get them in. Now, we preach the gospel, we teach you the word of God, and from there, things will develop. There are not growth of the teaching of God's word. Like through basketball and volleyball, we have uh, rafting and retreats. But also by the use of modern technology, um, such as we do Christmas plays and different things. Um, concerts, movies. There's many different forms that you can use for evangelism. But also by staying contemporary. Meeting the um, people where they are in the world. In other words, um, using whatever medium God will allow us to reach people. That which is decent, that which is order, that which is ethical and moral. Not corrupt things. we got to be clear on that. Okay, Much of the emergent church wants to show its relativity to the world. So you have pastors cussing from the pulpit. You have elders having beer bashes with their pastors. The Bible doesn't allow that. Be careful you fall into this philosophy that you can be just like the world just to show them that, um, that you love them. Uh-uh. Jesus didn't get drunk with people, neither did the apostles. Okay, It's just the way it is. And yet that's the norm for a lot of Christians today. It's impossible. Read the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. You will never see the kingdom of God if you practice these things. It's just very, very clear. And also using words that can be understood, not simply theological, religious words that impress people. We want to make sure that we're able to communicate um, the theology of the Bible in a way that people can easily understand as we move through it. You know, if you look at the Bible and you examine the words of the Bible, it's monosyllabic, one-syllable words. A child can understand it. Jesus spoke to the common person. That was one of his um, complaints about the religious people. They were so puffed up in their religiosity that uh, a common person couldn't even hope to understand them. But also by doing Bible studies, Wherever God opens the door, and um, God will raise up the persons to do that, as he's done here through the years, raising up many Bible teachers of men and women also. Um, going to people, um, and um, but God opens the doors for them to have a Bible study in their home, maybe, or a location, giving the word of God. So mission begins at the first step outside the church building. It begins right there as we go out. F.B. Meyer said, The church which is not a missionary church will be a missing church when Jesus comes. It's just that simple. You cannot turn inward. 
The church is made up of sinners, as you know, who have repented, being transformed to give an example of Christ to the community. But never, never does it mean perfect, sinless people. Never. But it does mean that we don't live the way we used to. There is a radical, radical difference. Absolutely. Believers should be ready to acknowledge their errors and wrongs, which is repentance, acknowledging them, asking forgiveness. We should be the first. We shouldn't even have to wait for people to confront us. Believers should be ready to ask forgiveness when there is an offense or failure. Forgive me. My attitude was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And it's done. No ledgers are kept. Believers should be ready to give an example of Christ to those around them, be they saints or sinners. We're always there, accountable to God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. Paul is not using that. Sometimes people use that verse to justify their carnality. <laughs> no. Paul is saying, All that I am is to the glory of God. It's he who has done it in me. He's not making excuses for his failures. The context is corrupted when it's used that way. Each church will be allowed by God to be an extension of his grace and love as he provides also. God uses different churches differently. We as a church attempt to provide food, as I said, for those in, that have need, as God allows it, uh, be they believer or non-believer. We provide clothing again when it's available. We've always done this through the years. As you know, in the Thanksgiving baskets, we make certain um, type of uh, backpacks for some of the street people around here. And we equip them for their needs. We attempt to provide assistance to those who are in need as they um, are referred here at times and through counseling and whatever situation may come across. We make ourselves available to help parents with their problem teens, be there, be it in pregnancy or drugs or rebellion or incarceration or whatever it is. So we're here to serve in any way we can. But the solution is always the same. It begins with the gospel. If the gospel is not the message, we have nothing to offer. A drug-addicted program, you'll be fine while you're in there. As soon as you get out, it's a revolving door. You go back around the candy man. Just the way it is. Very little success. But if you trust Christ, he can turn you around. We try to help the elderly whenever possible. Sometimes they need rights here or whatever it may be. We're never, we never allow the people to pressure or demand us to help. Because there are some people that try to do that. Some people will think just because you're a Christian, you have to help them. What? It's that entitlement mentality in our society, in our culture. We will serve anybody, but we're not a doormat. I'm not a doormat. I will serve you, anybody, but I will bow down to no one. It's just that simple. We will bow only to Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, Again, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven in Matthew 5, 16. So all the things that God allows you to be used for and as you minister and as you live out, that people look at you. And they may not know right. They may, they may not have any inklings of Christianity. They say, you know, he's not going to say, oh, he's a Christian. He may say, you know, I don't know. What, there's something wrong, something different about him. He doesn't conduct himself the same way. And then in conversation, he may come to know that you say, well, I'm a Christian. And he may be clueless what that really means because being a Christian, most people think, oh, you're just religious. And they lump everybody who believes in God as Christians, right? But the Bible is very specific who a Christian is. is one who believes the Word of God and lives the Word of God and is like Christ in their life. It's very, very clear. 
The church then is to be a contemporary in her evangelism to the community with the good news of the gospel. We need to use the familiar places um, when we um, first come to Christ to reach our friends, our loved ones. The minute you're born again, you're real close to your friends in the world, people that you work with and if you're going to school or your family. And so that's the first outreach. You're close to the world. As we travel in Christ and you mature and you grow, you grow further away from the world. So you always have to make sure that you're reaching out. Otherwise, you isolate yourself. We're to insulate ourselves to live in the world. We don't live of the world. Peter and John went down to the, the temple, as you know, and they reached out to the lame man there in Acts 3. He thought that they were going to give him a coin. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And God healed him and saved him. We need to be obedient to the leading of God, even in hostile places. We've been in some difficult circumstances and situations through the years as we've gone out in missions. I remember being escorted by the Federales in Mexico and Puebla in the mid-80s out of town because we were preaching Christ Jesus. And you know anything about Mexico and the Federales escort you out. They can just shoot you and bury you and that's it. They don't play games. We were in Guatemala just at the end of the war. As we were going through the jungle and evangelizing we came across villages that were wiped out the night before we were down in the philippines when all in the 80s um, they were killing pastors and um, in many of the islands but we go if god leads us i don't just go because i want to if god opens the doors and he leads fine so it's up to the person to make sure god sends you if god sends you then it's okay if you send yourself you may get yourself in trouble if God sends you and he lets you get killed, then you're going to die anyway, right? But you're being obedient to the Lord. Remember, Stephen preached to the synagogue of the freedmen, and it cost him his life in Acts chapter 6 and 7. So we need to be ready to go some distance if God is leading and opening the doors, whether it be a block or whether it be across to the other side of the world. Philip went down to Samaria, as you know, to preach the, to the eunuch from Ethiopia in Acts 8. Now, there was a great work going on in Samaria. Why would God interrupt that great move of God to send him just for one person? Yes. Because the importance is not the number of people you minister unto. It's that you minister to the one that God sends you. Whether it be one or a hundred or a thousand, it doesn't make any difference at all. This includes old friends, relatives, or anyone who comes our way. In the middle 90s, I went to a wedding for a daughter of one of my old friends. And there I and other friends were able to minister to this friend about the Lord. I hadn't seen him in many, many years. And then I was able to send him some, then that time we had tapes, not, not CDs. CDs weren't even thought of. And, um, but we shared Christ with him. And then I sent him some tapes. You never know when God opens doors. Through the years, we have done Bible studies at various places. I used to do Bible study up here in Fannie Mae, uptown. Bonds groceries, colleges, home studies. I did a Bible study for 20 years with the policemen and firemen at one of the fire uh, uh, stations up here, beyond Washington there. And then um, I moved the study over here, and now we have it here on Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock. So we're always reaching out. Whatever God opens up, we don't try to imitate or duplicate what anybody's doing. We just, whatever doors and opportunity God opens up, we step out in them. The important thing is that you and I not be like the man in the pool of Bethesda. As he was there attempting to get in and people would step over him. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Of course he didn't. Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And what did he do? He walked away. He was just interested in himself. 
being there so many years and not being able to get into the water. He should have got up, grabbed somebody and put him in the water. See, it's not just about you or me. You and I come last after we've come to Christ. It's others. Joy. Jesus, others, then you. That's the order. So vision for the community is crucial or the church will become a social club. Absolutely. Third, vision for the world. The New Testament church is our pattern as she um, reached out to the Gentiles. First, to be involved in missionary support financially, but not in the traditional way of supporting individuals by their letters to go out to the mission field. We don't do that. That's a traditional way. There's a little book by Roland Allen that says, Paul's way or our way. And he accredits much of the failure of missions because of doing it our way. When the Holy Spirit called Paul, he went. He didn't send out letters to raise money before he went. He went and God directed and guided him and Paul worked. Just that simple. We believe and have seen God raise up national people to be pastors of the churches. Becoming self-directed. Self-supported, self-propagated. The United States Church usually is the one who sends people out to control all those things. We don't believe that's the way it's to be. We may go down and begin and to see what God is doing. And if he does, but God will raise up a pastor in that nation, in that place. One of their own to take care of the church. A church that neglects missions financially and uses all of her funds for home base will dry up. It's just that simple. We go and come alongside to teach, help, and to assist at times. But we are not the ones calling the shots. It is the pastor of the church, like in Kali and Hamundi. Luis... Is the pastor in Kali and Hernando and Hamundi. I don't tell them what to do. I'm not the pastor. They're the pastors of the churches down there. We do so as the Lord would lead us in seeing God's hand on a man or ministry. We do not give money to people who ask. In fact, if you ask, I don't remember giving when people ask me once. The Bible says, ask God. I'm not God. Ask God to provide your needs. You say, well, how about you? Well, we're not begging anybody. God began this church through Bible study. God grew it. God's provided. We only teach the word of God. And as the Bible teaches, when the first day of the week, as God leads the people, but there's no pressure, there's no sales pitch, there's no sad stories. And if God doesn't provide, then we might as well close the doors, right? It's simple. Either God is in the work or he's not in the work. One of the two. Begging has become the curse and abuse of the church. Just turn on the radio. Listen to the programs particularly around Christmas and summer season, tax season. They really beg. Shame on them. Calvary Chapel Pasadena monthly sets aside 10%. We tithe out of the tithe that comes in here. We set apart 10% to be used outside the church base. But we've always exceeded it. 20, even 30% to reach out, to reach the loss. Because it's a priority. We have been involved in Chile, China, the Philippines. In fact, there's a team right now with Dr. Parado and his wife, Tess, and many others that are over there. They'll be there for a week or so. 
We do dental and medical outreaches. The Philippians stood behind Paul, and he makes mention of this in Philippians 4.10. They sent him a couple of gifts, but this was way after, okay? Paul never begged money, and he never took money. In fact, he worked with his own hands, lest he would charge, or he would be, be charged and bring charges to the gospel. He knew he couldn't do that. That was him. Now, he wasn't speaking against others. He says, for me, I can't do that. We have been part of pastors' conferences and crusades and Chile, Colombia, Mexico, New Zealand, Tonga, Japan, Scotland, Russia, Spain, just to mention a few. We are constantly doing medical outreaches, as you know, in Mexico, Rosarita, Ensenada, Vizcaíno, Mexico, Nicaragua, Uganda, Istanbul. Where God opens the doors, we go, and I commend you as a body. Because we never take money from anybody outside here. We never ask non-believers for money. And we don't beg other Christians for money. We, as Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, we flip the bill as God provides. We do not lay that or beg anybody for it. Very important. We're involved in the Spanish ministry and always have been via tapes, now CDs, and now in our radio station that we run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have all of the teachings for the 36 years and dev studies through every book, verse by verse, um, that we do at night in dev studies, the uh, Spanish uh, uh, All New Testament, some of the Second Coming, the women's studies, character studies, theology, Everything. We have our talk show on Tuesdays. God takes care of that. We have received letters from Cuba, Panama, Peru, Chile, Colombia, throughout Mexico. And in 1995, a pastor in Michigan called us and told us he was playing those Spanish studies on the radio and that um, the response had been incredible. And um, so we just mailed him some more studies so he could do it. We don't care. People can use anything we have. It's not our material. It's God's. We've also been on the radio for years. Okay, KLA, that little four-minute thing. It's incredible. We've been on half-hour programs. We still are. But when God has not provided, we've gotten off. We don't tell you guys. We don't beg you guys. We just make adjustments. We try to live within our means, and if God is not providing, then he's not guiding. It's real simple. All of this is done by the church body at Pasadena, through the obedient saints who give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord once a week. We do not take an offering. We receive an offering. We take nothing. We receive an offering. Paul is very clear on that as he spoke to the Corinthians. Those who love the Lord, those who give of uh, wholeheartedly, hilariously, and as they can see what God has done through the years, what he's doing, the benefit of the people and outreaches and everything else. We never, again, take an offering out in the mission field. One time I went down to Columbia and uh, I was doing some teaching there in Cali and then um, the pastor there, when the first started, had set up for us to go to Bogota to do um, the series on Nehemiah at this other denomination. And when I got done and everything, the pastor took me upstairs and he, um, he took out this big wad of money and he, and he, hand, he was going to hand it to me. I said, what's that for? He says, for you. I said, I don't need anything. My father is very wealthy. He takes care of us. I said, you use that for missions. I have never, ever taken money from anybody outside of Calvary Chapel here. I never will. Now, I may guest speak somewhere in the Calvaries. They may want to give me some. That's fine. But we take nothing in missions. We, take, we, we never want to be accused at all, ever. We receive a special offering one time for the homeless people in Chile when there was an earthquake in the 80s. And we send that down there also. What a privilege and joy to see God work 
even as the Macedonians who gave uh, to Paul for the poor saints of Jerusalem out of their deep poverty, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 says. They just uh, loved the Lord and they wanted to respond in kind since the Jews had given to the Messiah the word of God and they just they gave out of their deep poverty. But also to go into the world to make Christ known, the Great Commission is believed by some to be the great suggestion, but it isn't. Matthew 28, 19-20. It is a commission, a command. The word go is a participle along with baptizing and teaching, implying action, and could be translated as you go, when you go, in your going. In other words, there was never any doubt of not going. We are to go. The Great Commission is based on the model of Jesus who was sent by the Father to this world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. John 17, 18, Jesus told the Father about the disciples and apostles. Jesus is the greatest missionary who ever lived, as well as the most effective one. And he gave up more than we will ever give up. He divested himself of his glory got off his throne, became man to die for our sins as men insulted him, accused him, and killed him. Wow. The Apostle Paul was sent out by the Holy Spirit with Barnabas, as you know. Man did not send him out in Acts 13.2. The Holy Spirit says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called them. God sends people out. When men send people out, they become ineffective. He reached out to the great area of Greece and Europe in the second missionary journey of Acts 16, 17, and 18. He reached out to the city of Ephesus for three and a half years as their pastor in the third missionary journey in Acts 19, 20, and 21. Paul says, Woe to me if I preach not the gospel in 1 Corinthians 916. Missions, the Great Commission. But thirdly, to provide opportunity for others to go. God sent his soul son, as I said, the greatest missionary to this dark world, because he loved us, John 316. The Church of Antioch agreed with God's call to missions, affirming the call of Barnabas and Paul by the Holy Spirit in Acts 13, 1 through 3. They didn't send them out. Too many send themselves. Others are sent by their churches. And still others are sent by their denominations. The only calling and sending that will be effective is if the Holy Spirit calls you out and sends you out personally. And you have to know that. Not your pastor, not the elders, not someone else. Only you can know that. So sometimes people come and say, you know, the Lord's telling me to go here. Well, let me pray for you. Drop us a line. Tell us how everything goes. Let's see what happens. Only you can know. The evidence will be that they go, depending on God, and not waiting or begging until they get their financial things in order. So in other words, if you don't raise your fund, you're not going when God told you to go? Paul didn't say that. Barnabas didn't say that. None of the men in the Bible said that. Are we going to say God's different now? Paul worked. Nothing wrong with that. If God guides, he provides. It's a simple principle that Pastor Chuck taught, and we, be, we believe it completely. And at times, God will provide by the person working. Again, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Paul and Barnabas returned and shared all that God had done in the first missionary journey in Acts 14, 27 and 28. Not what they did, but what God had done. If God has called you and sent you to go, don't ask me to support you. Go and prove to me that God has called you and sent you as you depend on him and not man. Demonstrate that God has called you and sent you. 
by what God will do in you first than through you. Too many national pastors and missionaries are made spiritually blind, deaf, and crippled by their constant support, not having to depend upon God. They just have to go to the post office to pick up their check every month. And they'll be very careful not to offend the ones that are giving them money because they may cut them off. God wants you to depend upon him, to look to him, so that you do not compromise the gospel. And when you thank, you thank God for what he's doing. Paul gave an opportunity to Silas to go out with him in the second missionary journey in Acts 15.40. Paul took Timothy to the mission field to groom him for the work of ministry in Acts 16, 1-3. They were prohibited, as you know, from preaching in Mysia and Bithynia, and then directed through the vision of the man from Macedonia to Philippi, where Lydia and the other women were praying at the riverside in Acts 16, 6-15. They weren't strategizing. They were, you know, God was directing and guiding them as they were seeking the Lord. Are we to say that God does not lead and direct the church the same way as the scriptures tell us? That now we're to do this on our own? God help us. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to minister unto Paul. He nearly died in the service, not thinking of himself in Philippians 2.25. Chosen men were appointed to accompany the offering to Jerusalem by Paul and others in 2 Corinthians 8.18 and 19, being, making sure they weren't charged with something. Being wise. President Roosevelt said the following. Listen carefully. Since becoming president, I have come to know that the finest of Americans we have abroad today are the, are the missionaries of the cross. I am humiliated that I am not finding out until this late day the worth of foreign missions and the nobility of the missionaries. Their testimony in China... For instance, during the war there is beyond praise. Their courage is thrilling and their fortitude heroic. Amen. I have had the privilege to go to many parts of Mexico. San Salvador, Guatemala, Chile, Colombia, as I said, the Philippines, Germany, Japan, Scotland, Bulgaria, New Zealand, and then the islands of the South Pacific to preach Christ, Tonga, Fiji. Incredible. Kathy Cobb has been missionary to Bogota, Cali, and Colombia for years. She's here with us now. Victor Marquis, when he was here, went regularly overseas to help with sound, such as India. Then God called him to Korea. He's been there ever since. He visits us once in a while. Nathan Lavender spent some time down in Colombia, as well as others. Cal Stutmer went to Nicaragua just to help, and he became the pastor of the church. I just talked to him on the phone the other day. He's still down there. Now he's married. <laughs> Many different groups have gone down to Mexico just over the border for the weekend. Some of you go out without even any. You just go down there. You go do some work. That's great. I love it. You don't have to wait for us. You don't have to get my permission. Go. <laughs> Go as God leads you. We sent two groups to China to take Bibles in 1986. We've done outreaches like in San Felipe and medical outreaches in different places all throughout Mexico. God provides the doctors. We don't set up again some kind of petition. God has done this. When he ceases to provide doctors, then we quit. No big deal. Dr. Graciela, Dr. Luis Peña used to come here. Dr. Lee, Dr. Peterson, his wife. Dr. Jim and Beverly Henriksen, Dr. Walters, and many, many others. God does it. He puts it all together. And so we go to Cali yearly for the conference. Things are getting difficult down in Colombia now. The state is coming against the church. We'll see what's going to happen. 
We go out knowing God has sent us and we go out to serve, not to be served, not to be recognized or establish our ministry or build our little kingdom. When I, as your pastor, or anyone else goes out, it is the entire body of Pasadena that goes out. We're representing you. First the Lord, then we're representing the body here. And we want to let people know that we are a giving church. We want to serve and we want to bless. When individuals go, they see how fortunate they are to live in America and become more people-centered and less self-centered. All you have to do is go over the border. See how blessed you are here. And Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenty, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Matthew nine thirty-seven and 38. Vision for the world is not an option, but a commission. And so... The church must have vision for these three areas or it will become a social institution without a message and powerless. Vision for the church is essential or the church will dry up. Vision for the community is crucial or the church will become a social club. Vision for the world is not an option but a commission. I pray that you just go through these studies. Understand what the nature of the church is so that you can judge what is being introduced by false teachers to substitute the true nature of the church to something that is nothing close to the church. The word of God is the plumb line, ladies and gentlemen. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. Thank you for tonight, and we pray that you continue to instruct us and guide us, Lord. We thank you for your word. I pray for every person here, and I thank you for them, and Lord, those that are online, and that you continue to direct and guide us as we obey you, as we depend upon you, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you believe what I've shared about Christ Jesus and the need of salvation, and that the word of God is the only one that can bring you to that place of conviction and repentance. And you can call upon the name of the Lord right now and be saved. And to know that he'll forgive you for all your sins and make a new creation of you. This is your prayer of repentance. If you want to accept Christ, whether you're here or over the internet. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.